Holmes Politicast. I'll be your host today. I hope everybody had a really great, amazing Memorial Day weekend. Hope it was uh, hope it was enjoyable with your family or your friends, and um, you know, hope you spent a few minutes to think about the freedoms that we have and and the fact that we get to enjoy these things that so many other nations don't get to. I mean, there are a lot of problems in our nation. Uh, as you know, I mean, if you listen to the show, you know that there's a lot of criticisms about, you know, policies and, and culture issues and, uh, and government and, and their role and in people's lives and things. But sometimes I hear about these other countries and I just think about how much we take for granted having weekends and, you know, eight hour work days and holidays and days off i mean you know and and how some people just spend time gardening and and i just i i saw a documentary many years ago and it comes back to my mind every once in a while about iraq um it was i don't i don't even know what the documentary was about it was after we went we started the war in iraq and they had this they had this lady they were interviewing this woman and they asked her about um about what they thought of America and Americans. And, and she, she showed her yard. I mean, she showed, you know, there's like all this dirt and there's a lot of rubble around her because the city had been bombed and, and everything was brown or beige maybe. I mean, you know, the rocks and the rubble and the ground. And, and she mentioned how America was so beautiful they had lawns and she wished she could have a garden and trees and, you know, somewhere for her kids to play, you know, and, you know, and they showed around her house and they're just, there wasn't anything green. There was no grass. There was no, it was just dirt and rocks. And, and I thought about, and I think about that every once in a while, like I'll be in a park or something and it's, you know, I'm sitting on a bench and it's just peaceful and quiet and, I'm underneath a shade tree and I'm seeing kids playing in the grass and, you know, maybe some people pl fr playing Frisbee or, you know, some teens throwing the football around or something. And I think how I'm not saying it's uniquely American because there are other countries You know, there's England and Canada and other places where they've got lush, beautiful land. Ireland has a lot of lush, beautiful land. But but I just think it's kind of a Western type culture. And I think about countries like Yemen and Iraq and Afghanistan that really don't, you know, they just don't have some of that beauty and they don't, you know, they don't have a Memorial Day. And I'm not saying that they don't care about their dead, but they don't have a Memorial Day like we do where you go off on the lake or you go have a picnic or, you know, their life is really, really rough. I mean, every day they're, they're having to... Um, fight for a living. I mean, I'm not talking about fighting like in the war, although in some cases that is true, but they have to fight for their food. They have to, you know, they don't, they don't have grocery stores like we do. They don't have the, a lot of the things that we do. And, and do, do they even have a day off where they can just sit and read a book and enjoy the day? Or is like, every day seems like it's a trial. Every day is you know, and I was just thinking about that Memorial Day. I'm seeing all these pictures on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook of people 
in, you know, water skiing or, or picnicking. And I'm just thinking that it's a very blessed thing because in a lot of countries, they just don't have that ability. I mean, in some of those Middle Eastern countries, I mean, they don't have running water. They have to go down and find water and haul it back up to their house. And, you know, they have to do this several times a day. It's not like they just do it in the morning and they have water all, all day. I mean, you know, you use up that water and you have to go back down and bring more water up. I mean, and and here we just somewhat take it for granted. I'm, I'm saying I do, I'm, I, and I'm sure you do as well. I'm not just pointing fingers at you and saying you guys take it for granted. I just mean we all do it to a certain degree. I mean, you know, we have water and we have food and we have shelter and we're not worried about our homes being bombed and sirens going off and the police coming in like they do in these other countries where the police work sometimes for despots and you know who come in and they harass people and beat people and kill people and you're always in fear every day um there was a story that i read about an actor who lived in Ireland during what is called the Troubles in the 80s and 90s, uh, where Northern Ireland and the, and the Republic of Ireland were fighting. Uh, they were, it was, um, some of it was religious between the Catholics and the Protestants, and some of it was that Northern Ireland, uh, which is owned by Great Britain, um, believed that country was illegally taken because they're a part of Ireland and the country was split and the Northern Ireland was giving to England. And he said, and so that time is called the troubles because the IRA, the Irish Republican army was bombing the, the, the Republic of Ireland and vice versa. There was constant fights between the two. And this actor was saying that when he was a kid, that was, you lived in constant fear. If you lived in like Belfast and, and some of those cities, he said at night you kept a bag packed because at any time you could hear the sirens going off, which would tell people flee because um, there's a terrorist attack or, you know, the IRA has come in and they're going to be killing people or rounding people up. You know, he said, you know, you'd go to school and you don't know if you're going to see your parents when you get home because there could be a bombing at your school or there could be a bombing in your home. Um, you know, and and he just talked about what kind of a life that was to live when you were a kid. I mean, to constantly be under fear and not being able to sleep a good night's sleep because you're having one ear always on listening for your parents to scream out or for sirens, you know, and to not be able to concentrate in school because you don't know. You can't go out for recess because kids might be a target, um, you know, so you you know, so you're kind of trapped in this classroom and even there, you don't know if you're safe, but you're safer than being a target outside. Um, you know, and I, I just think about that, that, you know, like on Memorial Day, I got to spend time with my family and we weren't at no point did we, you know, like, hey, did you hear that? Is that something, you know, we just enjoyed ourselves. We enjoyed our time together and didn't have to worry about bombings or shootings or um, brutality or, you know, we could take long walks along the many parks along West Michigan. We could go down to the beach if we wanted. We could, I mean, there was just so many options, you know, uh, 
and I, I, I just, anyway, um, I didn't really intend to go off on this tangent, but it's just something that I think about, uh, I wouldn't say quite often, but every once in a while, I think about the blessings that we have. And as much as I criticize and um, I criticize government and I criticize culture and things like this, there isn't any place I'd rather be in the world right now or any time. I think um, it might not always be this way, but right now it, it's a really great place to live in spite of all of its faults, in spite of all the idiocy that goes on. Um, it is a great place to live. So speaking of idiocy that goes on, it's a nice little segue. Uh, there's a couple stories that I wanted to talk about today. Um, and the first one, uh, it just coming out today, just breaking uh, just a few hours before this podcast, is through the Freedom of Information Act, they have now gotten a hold of over 3,000 emails released from BuzzFeed. BuzzFeed released this from Dr. Anthony Fauci's work email. Now, this is, I, I, I don't know. Okay, this is the Freedom of Information Act. I started to say, I don't know if they were hacked. They weren't, obviously. But this is why Hillary Clinton had a private email for this very reason. She didn't want the Freedom of Information Act to be able to get a hold of her emails and embarrass her. And this is exactly why, because of what's happened with Fauci now. We got a hold of a number of his work emails. Some of them have been redacted. Some things in them have been redacted. But what has come out is very damning. Now, don't, don't let the mainstream media run the story for you because I've read some of these emails. So, so I'm not just, I'm not just repeating what I heard on our right wing website or things. I've actually read some of them. The mainstream media uh, tells you that what these, these emails show are the tension between Donald Trump and how he had such uh, uh, a hold over Fauci and how Fauci really um, uh, dwindled, uh, wilted under that pressure of, of Trump trying to tell him what to do. And that is the main thing you pull from this is that how much he was stifled in what he wanted to say because of the tyrant Donald Trump. The emails, actually, there may be some emails that do have him saying stuff like, I really want to say this, but the administration won't let me. I'm, I haven't read every email, so I can't say that there is none of that. But the real story in these emails are that we find out that Fauci was just as clueless as everybody else. And he's a political hack who says one thing because it's it's what the what was popular at the time what the politics of the time were Biden should have fired Fauci when he took over and I'm not and I don't just say this because I know Fauci's worked for several administrations so I'm not I'm not saying he's a Republican hack um but I'm saying he lost all credibility you know because now he's come out and he's contradicted himself. And of course, the media blames it all on Trump. But the point is, we don't know if he was lying then or if he's lying now. 
Was he lying because that's what Trump wanted him to say? Or is he lying now because this is what Biden wants him to say? We don't know. And so he should have been fired and replaced with somebody who we can all have complete confidence in. Uh, because, okay, so we already know. I already knew that Fauci had contradicted himself because I kept track of some of these things. Um, as some of you may know, I'm a researcher. And I think it's wrong. Sometimes people will say that I've written a book. The truth is, I mean, I write parts of it, but a lot of it is research. I compiled a book of, of sources. I did one on the John F. Kennedy administration. And I've worked on one about the history of the United States. It's very long and it's very hard for me to edit it down to make it um, flow easily. So I haven't published that one yet, but I've been doing one about the history of the United States. And so I'm always gathering information, even current stuff, because this is contemporary history. It will be part of history at some time. And so when we started going through the pandemic, I started collecting a lot of the information that was coming out, uh, transcripts of uh, the president's press conferences, Trump's press conferences, his statements about the, um, the pandemic, the timeline of what he was doing when he did it, things that Dr. Fauci was saying, things that we knew about the pandemic. So I was already aware that in March of 2020, over a year ago, Fauci had said in an interview that he didn't under he did you know he was asked if Americans should be wearing a mask in public, and he said specifically, uh, verbatim, that he didn't see the sense in wearing a mask because they weren't it wasn't going to stop the transmission of the disease they're going to be worthless he said there might be some psychological value. To wearing a mask. It might make you feel like you're doing something to help yourself. But he said the truth is to run out and buy masks aren't going to accomplish anything. They're not going to slow the spread. They're not going to stop the spread. People are still going to get it regardless of whether or not they're wearing masks. The only thing he said was the only reason it might be beneficial in some, in some cases is if you have the disease by wearing a mask, if you sneeze, or if you cough, there might be some small droplets that get caught in the mask and you might not spread it as easily. But he said, if you're not sick, wearing a mask is gonna make any difference. It's not gonna stop you from getting sick. This was in March of 2020. So I already knew that Fauci had come out against masks before, he was against them before he was for them. Later, of course, he claims that masks are saving lives and that everyone needs to wear a mask. What happened, in my opinion, was, based on my research, was that Trump said he wasn't going to wear a mask. And now Trump had a couple of reasons for that. One reason is because he knew the science that wearing a mask is going to help anything. And number two, um, Donald Trump is a showbiz person. He's a showman. And he knows that wearing a mask looks funny on camera. And you won't be able to see his full face. It's not a very good look for the television camera. So he didn't want to wear a mask, number one, because he knew it wouldn't do any good. He probably would have worn one had he been told, if you wear a mask, you'll be safe. But number two, it just it wasn't good. It wasn't a good look for the television cameras. So 
So there was no point in wearing one just to wear one. Um, but the minute Donald Trump said he wasn't going to wear a mask, it became political. Then the Democrats started to hammer him about refusing to wear a mask, and then it became a political football that Republicans aren't wearing a mask, Democrats are, and so Fauci then followed not the science, but followed the public opinion, which said we should all be wearing a mask. And <clears throat> so he started wearing one on occasions. We did see a number of occasions, like on the baseball field, or when he was in the beach, baseball bleachers and he had his mask off so he could talk to his family or whoever he was with. Uh, he's changed his tune once the politics got involved and the masks started to become a political issue, dividing people between being a Republican and a Democrat. Then he became pro-mask. So I already knew that, you know, this wasn't a big revelation, but right there in his emails, he's advising people in the Trump administration. He's telling them exactly what I told you, not the exact words, but he was telling them that there is no reason to wear a mask, that masks are not, are, are not helpful. Masks will not prevent the disease from, from spreading. Masks aren't going to do any good. Um, you know, the only masks that he said that might make a difference would be some of these medical masks or something like that. But any of these masks that you can go down to the dollar store and buy or putting a scarf over you or any of these things aren't going to make a difference. So he says this in several emails, talking to various people, telling them, you know, this panic about wearing masks is overrated. You do not need to wear a mask to stay safe. It will not help. It's just psychological. It makes you feel like you're doing something. If you put your children in a mask, it gives mothers and parents the feeling that their children, that they're doing something to protect their children. You know, it's just human nature that you want to feel like you're doing something. It's just like back in the uh, 50s and 60s. I've heard this many times from my parents and and I've seen it talked about on uh, on documentaries and things where during the Cold War era, kids were taught in the in they were taught they were given nuclear drills and they were taught if we if the sirens go off there's going to be a nuclear weapon you crawl under your desk and put your hand over your head in a kneeling position. Everybody knows that if a nuclear bomb goes off hiding under your desk is not going to save you. You are going to die. It doesn't matter if you stay on top of the desk, you get underneath the desk, you know, if you pile all the desks up against the wall, a nuclear bomb is not going to be stopped because you were under the desk. You're going to die. But it gave kids the feeling that there was some control over the situation. So it wasn't nihilistic or fatalistic where if a nuclear bomb goes off, we're all going to die anyway, so just deal with it. It made them feel like there was something they were doing so they didn't live in fear. You know, it wasn't going to help, but it made them feel like there was something they could do so they had hope. And it's that same mentality that that he's talking about here, that parents want to feel like they're doing something to protect their kids from this 
crazy virus that we don't know how it started. We don't know how it's spreading. We don't know how it's going to affect kids. People are dying right now. They're elderly, but it could be our kids. We don't want our kids to die. We need to do something. Well, put your kids in a mask. It'll make them, at least you feel like you're doing something to protect your kids. You're not just sending them out into the world saying, hey, hope you come back and don't die. You know, um, you know, you're doing something to make parents feel safe for their kids and make themselves feel safe when they go out in public. That, hey, I'm wearing a mask. I'm safe. It's not really safe, but you feel like it. You're not living in your basement, hiding, being scared to death, killing yourself, whatever, because the end isn't necessarily near. You feel you got hope that I'm doing something to help myself. So he admits it in here that masks don't do anything. Even after they've implemented all these mask mandates, privately he was saying to people, this is all nonsense. They're just a show. They're just a show that you're putting on. It's just something to do to alleviate the panic and to make you feel like you have some control over an uncontrollable situation. So I already knew that. So that didn't surprise me that because he had said it publicly uh, at one time. But this just confirmed it gave added evidence because even though I knew he said it publicly, I, in my uh, haste, sometimes this happens. I forgot to source where I heard it. So I wrote it down at the time. I made a copy of it, what he said, but I forgot to put um, where what he, what the interview was. Was it on, you know, was it on CNBC? Was it on, you know, was it an interview on YouTube that I saw? Was it, I couldn't remember. And so I felt a little guilty because this is an unsourced claim. And if years from now I go and tell people this is what Fauci said, and they say, I don't believe he said that. Where did he say that at? I, uh, well, I don't know where he said it. But trust me, he really did say it. That's a really hard thing to convince people that I can't remember where he said it, but I heard it. So trust me. So I was always a little guilty about using that fact because I didn't know where it came from. And if I can't source it, I can't definitively use it as evidence. You know, if there are no witnesses, if I can't show people this is where it's said and just say, trust me, that's not a good historian. It's not a good, uh, in a debate, that's not a good argument to make, something that you heard once, but you can't prove it. Um, you know, so I was really glad to see that it's actually on paper in the email so I can use that as a source instead of just, I know he said it once back in March of 2020, I, but I can't tell you when it was said or where it was said or anything. So I was happy that there is actual evidence that I can show people and say, look, no, this is, this is true. This is where he said it. Look, I could show you the email right here. And so I'm in the process now uh, because they're on PDFs and I can't copy those. So I've got to actually transcribe those by hand, which will take some time, but I'm in the process of making copies of those so I can use them in any future edition of my book that, that comes out. The other thing that came out is something we talked about a couple of, or last week or the week before, and that is that he received an email in January of 2020. This is as the pandemic has now engulfed China, and it has not yet, it, it either has just come to the United States, like one or two people have had it, or this is right before it hit the United States. I'm not totally sure. I'd have to go back and check because I kept the timeline of when the first cases were here in the United States. 
So I'd have to look at the dates and see which came first. But still, even if cases had hit the United States, they had just started. And in there, his people, uh, these other these other um, scientists and epidemiologists or whatever they are, virologists, I guess they would be, um, said in there that because of the genetic code in this virus, that they believe that this virus was man-made. This is the smoking gun that I cannot believe the media is not talking about. Because this is exactly, this seems like that'd be breaking news. That they say in there, they tell Fauci that this appears to be man-made because of the genetic code. It was not a natural, it was not a natural um, mutation. That this was genetically made. They do not offer any evidence as to whether it was Chinese made. They don't offer it as evidence as to whether it was bio-warfare. They don't offer the motive. Um, they don't offer means, motives, opportunity, any of that. All they say is that it looks, because of the genetic codes, this was created, uh, it was man-made. Um, they're like, uh, um, uh, what are they? I don't even know, I can't remember what they're called, but uh, a medical examiner, I guess is what they're called. You know, if you watch one of those murder shows, the medical examiner comes and looks at the body and says, this person was murdered, you know, based on, the evidence here, you know, there's a, a stab wound and there's a pool of blood and the person's dead. It was not natural causes. It was murder. Now, they don't they don't tell you who they think the murderer is. They don't tell you what the description of the murder is. They don't tell you any of that. They just tell you it looks like they were murdered and the murder would have happened about five hours ago based on the evidence here. That's all they tell you. It's up to the, it's up to the police to determine who had the motive, the means, the opportunity to find out what happened, who was in the room. But the medical examiner just tells you the basic facts. Based on the evidence, this person was murdered. And that's what these people are telling Fauci. Based on the evidence, this was man-made. They're not going into who they think created it, if it was created in a lab, what the, what the motivation for creating it was, how it got loose, um, you know, none of that stuff. They're just giving the bare facts. It looks like this was man-made. Fauci then... Uh, and, and more than likely that this ev evidence was given to the president of the United States. I mean, I, I can't imagine why Donald Trump would not have been um, briefed on this. So when Donald Trump, in his usual way, which is argumentatively, I mean, whether you agree with Trump or not, either was really good or really stupid, but Donald Trump didn't keep it quiet. And he was what you might call very politically correct, calling it the Kung flu or the Wuhan virus or, you know, things like this. Maybe that wasn't the smartest thing to do. That's a debate. <laughs> other people can have it other times. Um, but I imagine that's, that is why he kept saying it was created. It was, and why Senator Tom Cotton and other people who had been briefed as well, continued to say that it was created from Wuhan. It was in a lab. I don't know if they had more evidence, but certainly they knew it was man-made and probably process of elimination. Obviously, it started in Wuhan. That's where it, it affected the most people. It moved all the way to China and then became global. So it's, you know, you can't say that it was, it was created in St. Louis, Missouri. You know, then how did it, then why did it start in 
Wuhan and China. You know, I mean, just common sense would tell you that it must have, that's the epicenter, it must have started in Wuhan, so you would assume that that must be where the virus was created. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to come to that conclusion. Now, it, it may have been imported. I mean, it is possible that it was created somewhere else and some top secret agent or a double agent or, you know, the CIA or somebody else uh, uh, snuck it into Wuhan and released it, and that's where it started. I mean, there are possibilities. I'm not saying it absolutely positively was created in Wuhan, but common sense would tell you that's more than likely where it came from because that's where it first uh, started spreading and that's and it, and it got bigger and bigger and took over the world. So um, so I believe Donald Trump had inside information and for whatever reason, he decided to go public with it. Partly, I would imagine some of it had to do with his ego because nobody claims that um, Donald Trump is a humble individual with no ego. I mean, I think he wanted to make it clear that there was someone to blame and it's not me. Um, and, and, and honestly, any politician would do that. They would want to make it clear. This is not my fault. <laughs> you know, don't blame this on me. It is, uh, China's fault. They're the ones who are responsible for this. So, you know, don't, don't blame me because the whole country gets shut down. I did everything humanly possible. China's the one to blame, you know? So I imagine that played some part in it. It might've also played a part because of the tariff war we were doing with China to put some pressure on China. Um, I don't know. I'm not really sure. You know, it's hard right now to get into the mind of Donald Trump because he hasn't written his autobiography. We haven't really seen a lot of biographies of those who have worked in the Trump administration come forward, you know, as we usually do, partly because, in my opinion, because there's some uncertainty as to whether he's going to run for president again. So you can't really put a chapter, you can't really, um, the book is still being written. And you don't want to ruin your chances if Trump gets reelected of being able to work for him again by coming out and talking about the problems in the administration and what was really going on behind the scenes. It was the same problem they had with the Clintons when Hillary Clinton was thinking about running for president. I couldn't find any really good books about the Clinton administration, the Bill Clinton administration, because many of the insiders didn't want to tell the truth about the administration for fear that there would be retribution when Hillary ran for president. Whereas with like George W. Bush and Barack Obama, you have seen people coming forward, not necessarily come back forward and trash them, but they do talk about what really happened, you know, during 9-11, you know, what was happening behind the scenes in the war, you know, what happened in the healthcare battle with Obama, you know, because there's no chance that they're going to run again. So we can, we can close the book on that administration and we can tell what we know with Trump a lot of them aren't talking because we want to preserve our reputations with Donald Trump. If he was to run again and when we want to be able to serve in that administration, we don't want him to freeze us out. And so since we don't have that stuff, there is uh, no, we don't know what was going on in Donald Trump's mind. And so I can't tell you all the reasons why he came forward and announced it. But my point is he did say very early on that he thought it was created and that China was responsible. And of course he was ridiculed and they claimed it was xenophobia, uh, racism, all these other things. And as I said a couple weeks ago, I thought that he probably, because he's the president of the United States and we have some of the best intelligence agencies in the world, 
um, that he probably had some inside information. Maybe he didn't know everything that the CIA knew. Um, and maybe he was holding back some things that were classified, like maybe uh, sources and methods, like how we know there may have been some inside people who worked in the Chinese government who were giving us information, and we didn't want to reveal how we know that it was created there. Um, but I figured he had some inside information because I can't imagine that anybody, whatever your opinion of Donald Trump is, I can't imagine that anybody, including Donald Trump, would just make up something like that just out of the blue. You know, um, you know, Donald Trump did a lot of hyperbole. He would spin things a certain way. He might exaggerate things a bit, like by saying we have the greatest economy in the history of the world. We did have a good economy. No doubt about that. Whether it was the greatest economy, I have some doubts. But, you know, he sometimes would exaggerate or spin things a little bit. But he never just outright lied. I mean, it's not like we were in the middle of the Great Depression and he said our economy is just fantastic. You know, I mean, that would just be foolish. And so even though I wasn't a huge fan of Donald Trump, he's not just an abject liar, you know, just making up stuff. Um, you know, so I, I figured he must have some knowledge. And he probably, in my opinion, was holding things back that he was told, can't talk about this. But being made in a lab isn't isn't uh, uh, what you call it, isn't sensitive, isn't confidential. Just how we know that might be or who we actually think is responsible specifically, we don't want to say out loud, but these are our, this is what we think. To the best of our knowledge, this is what's going on. But my point in all this is that Dr. Fauci then came out and contradicted it, even though his own people were telling him this, and he was confirming it with others in emails, he publicly was saying that, that that is a ridiculous notion, that there was, it was not created in a lab. It absolutely was the dumbest thing he ever heard. So my point in all this, and there's just many more, and I, I, I don't have time, I don't want this whole episode to be about Dr. Fauci. So I would encourage you to find them, um, they're not real hard to find. I didn't do them in a Google search on Twitter. There's a number of Republicans who are tweeting them and retweeting them. But I'm sure if you do a Google search, well, probably if you do a Google search, it's possible they could, they might um, restrict you on some of the information. But I'm sure that they'll be popping up on many of these websites. And I'm sure that on many of these shows, Ben Shapiro and other people will be talking about these things. So if you're really interested, it's not going to be hard to find this information because it confirms what a lot of Republicans believed all along that Dr. Fauci was not being honest with us entirely and was changing. He was not following the science. He was following the politics. And um, and he was so. Um, but but it is really interesting to see. And I, that's why I think that Fauci should he should have been fired a while ago, but I think he definitely should be now. Now that this has come out, how can we take anything seriously that he says? You know, once the government starts lying to you about one thing, you have to distrust everything they say. Because how can you trust them? How can you know that what they're saying is true now? You know, um, and that is a big problem, especially when they're proclaiming to follow the science. And we find out they haven't been following the science. So how do we know anything he's saying is true? 
we need to get rid of him and bring in somebody new. Now, I know there'll be a lot of Republicans who will say, well, Biden appoints him. How, you know, we won't be able, how do we know we can trust him? And he's not just a Biden hack. Well, you have a good point. I mean, there, there's no way to know for certain, but you definitely can't trust Fauci. At least you can give the new guy a benefit of the doubt and say, well, we don't know. So we'll give him the benefit of the doubt and assume that he's going to tell us the truth. And so we can prove otherwise. That's all I can say about that, because, I mean, there's never going to be 100 percent promise that anybody who works in the government is not going to be biased. And But he needs to go because he's lost all credibility. And um, so anyway, yeah, that is an absolute disaster. I, I just. And we almost spent the entire show talking about Fauci, although there is an article I want to bring you to. It's on the Guy on Journal. And I'll spell that for you, G-H-I-O-N, journal. Um, I follow them on Twitter. So if you know my Twitter, you can go down my follow list and you'll see it. They have a great article out called The Talented Dr. Fauci, How the Highest Paid Technocrat in D.C. Kept Reinventing Himself to Escape Accountability. Um, um, and I, the author is like a Teodros... Fikramarian, I don't know how to pronounce it, but it's a 16-minute read. I don't have enough time to read the whole thing today, but I would highly encourage you to read it. It talks about Dr. Fauci, his uh, history with AIDS and other things, and how he's been wrong many times, and we should have seen this coming. And so it's a fascinating article, and I would really encourage you to read it. Um, so anyway, let me just, since we're running out of time, let me just say real quick, I watched a, an amazing documentary on HBO Max. If you don't, if you don't have HBO Max, I don't, I, I can't tell you it's worth paying for. I pay for it because there's some really good documentaries and they do have some TV series and some movies that are, are decent. I think if I recall correctly, they've, if I recall correctly, they have partnered with Turner Classic Movies. So they not only have current releases. They also have several classic old films that you can watch in their entirety. So, um, so I mean, but they also have some good documentaries. So if you have HBO Max or are inclined to get it, there's a great documentary on there called Q Into the Storm. And it's a six-part documentary. And uh, there are a couple of inappropriate things in there. I'll warn you about that. It does say at the beginning uh, what the, so I think like the first two, there are some clips that they show that are um, somewhat inappropriate. And I don't know why they put them in the, in the documentary because they're talking about this one guy that, that they're interviewing um, had a porn site and they're making the point that he, he was called like the porn king on the internet or something. And for some reason, they show like a few seconds of some porn, which is completely irrelevant. And I, there's no reason for it. But just if you go to watch it, just look at the top when it says at the beginning, um, you know, what, why it's rated. And it'll say nudity. And if it says nudity, skip over that one. Because those two really don't have anything. They're just outlining some of the um, background characters. So you don't really um, need to watch those. Um, but anyway, but the six part series is about number one, it's about who, who Q is. If you don't know, Q is that mysterious 
person on the internet that that a lot of Trump, I'll say cultists, follow. They believe Hillary Clinton uh, has been arrested, and some people believe that she's already been executed. You know, and that the Hillary Clinton we see now is just a body double. They believe that. Biden is not really president of the United States, that Donald Trump is still president, and that for some odd reason that, that they don't explain that Trump is allowing Biden to act as president, but that Trump is actually running the country, um, but he's just allowing Biden to come out and pretend to be president for you know reasons they don't explain. There's a lot of really crazy stuff that these Q followers believe. And... So the first question that they're trying to answer is, who is Q? Who is the identity of this person? And the second question that they try to answer is, why do so many people follow this? And this led up to the what they're calling the January 6th insurrection attempt, that many of those people were Q followers, not just Trump supporters. They were Q followers. And how did it get to that point? And I think it's just a really fascinating thing. Now, they do expose who they think is Q. And I'm not going to say it on here, not because I don't want to spoil it for you, but because you have to watch the documentary to understand who it is. Otherwise, if you don't want, if I just say the name, you're going to be like, I don't know who that is. And I'd have to spend, you know, six episodes explaining to you who Q is, you know. Uh, so there's really no point. It's not like it's not like it's Trump or Steve Bannon or somebody that, you know, that everybody knows. And I could say that's who it is. Um, so if I just said the name, you'd be like, I have no idea who that is. So um, and I didn't know who it was either before um, before they revealed it. But the other issue, the one that I thought was really interesting is they show how it got to a point where so many people follow Q and it really is a testament about who we are as a nation and what our government has done. And this is really important because there are many people, not just Q followers, but many people in our country who have lost faith in our institutions. They've lost faith in our judicial system. They've lost faith in the FBI, in the CIA. They've lost faith in our president and our voting systems. They've lost faith in uh, government as a whole. And they are looking for some justice to be done because we've been lied to repeatedly as a government or as a people by our government. And they brought up um, the weapons of mass destruction, how adamantly the intelligence agencies, how the government all pushed that there were weapons of mass destruction. We had to go over there. You know, there was going to be a mushroom cloud in America. Saddam Hussein was going to kill Americans. They were, he was, you know, he had the weapons. We knew where they were. They were just northeast of Tikrit, is what Secretary of Defense Donald Rumsfeld said. We know exactly where they are. We just have to go in and get them. And then after we got the war, then the administration admitted, actually, there are no weapons of mass destruction. We can't find any. We don't know where they are. And we don't really care because he was a bad guy and we need to take him out. A lot of people were angry about that. The government lied to us to get us into war, to convince us to go to war. The media promoted it. The administration promoted it. The intelligence communities promoted it. And then it turned out that it wasn't true. And the people who said we have doubts about it were called anti-American. They were they were called American Taliban. You know that that you hated our country. You might as well be Saddam Hussein, or you might as well be Osama bin Laden's minions. And we said we just aren't convinced it's weapons of mass destruction over there. 
And then it turned out we were right. That annoyed a lot of people. Then you had the, the stock market crash in 2008 and they bailed out the big businesses. And meanwhile, the average person was losing their homes. They were losing businesses. They lost tremendous, but the rich and the powerful all made out like bandits. You know, they got TARP, that um, TARP program where they all got bailouts. The auto industry got bailouts. All these people, the banks got bailouts. But the American people were told, well, you made bad investments, so you have to pay. But the banks made bad investments too, but they weren't, they were said they were, they were too big to fail. And then the Obama administration came in and pushed through an unpopular Affordable Care Act known as Obamacare. And we were told, don't worry about it. If you like your doctor, you can keep your doctor. We were told that, you know, Nancy Pelosi said, well, the American people don't have a right to know what's in the bill. Well, you'll know what's in it once we pass it. Then you can find out what's what's in the bill. And you had members of Congress, Democrats, who said, well, if you don't like it, you can just unelect us, you know, but you're going to we're going to do it anyway. You know, there were protests. People were upset about it. We don't want this health care system. And they said, we're going to do it anyway. And what did it turn out doing? People got thrown off their health care systems. You know, um, personally, my father was thrown off. You know, he had a good health care system um, through his business, and he got thrown off of it because when Obamacare came. Now, he doesn't have very good health care at all. He has a lousy health care, all because of the Affordable Care Act. And they said, suck it up. We don't care. We don't care what it'll do to you. You know, and then, you know, so we had, um, you know, over the last 20 years, we've had the government lie and lie and lie and the media lied to us about everything. And we had the FBI and the CIA and, you know, lying to us. And we had the presidents lying to us and, you know, and everyone telling us, oh, this will be good for you. This will be wonderful. They, they promoted NAFTA and said, this is going to be wonderful for jobs. It's going to be the renewal. We're going to see an American renewal like you've never seen before. NAFTA gets put in place and our cities become ghost towns. Michigan now, I mean, all the auto industries started outsourcing we have whole cities benton harbor and all these cities that have now become rundown houses with where unemployment is high crime is high because the jobs left the city they're ghost towns now places where the police don't even want to go into because crime and drugs and violence is so rampant you know that you can't get people to go in and open a business there because the businesses will be destroyed looted robbed burned down so, you know, but we were told over and over, all these things will be great for you. They were not great for us. They were great for businesses and they were great for the politicians, but the people suffered. And that's why they elected Donald Trump in 2016. And that's why you have so many of these people who are willing to believe that the government is lying to us, that there's really a secret government that's out there to protect you, that you can't trust the CIA, you can't trust the FBI, you can't trust, certainly not the media. You know, you can't trust the Democrats. You can't trust what they tell you. You can't trust establishment Republicans. They're all lying. And you can only trust the Trump administration. You can only trust what the president says because everybody else is in for themselves. Trump is not. Now, he was wrong about some of that. I'm saying that Trump was not part of some secret club that, that, was, that was out there doing these things. I mean, he did things that he obviously thought were good for the country. 
but it wasn't some secret government that he was running. But but you could see why that would be so um, uh, that that so many people would love to hear that. They want to hear that our country is going to be safe. Our country is going to be okay. There's actually a secret government within the government that is trying to do what's right, that is trying to save the people from the Democrats, from the media, from, you know, the globalists, from the CIA, from, you know, all of these groups that are all out to stop the, uh, the, the movement of the people. And I thought it was fascinating. And I'd love to go into it more detail sometime. But unfortunately, we've run out of time. I had some other things to talk about. We'll have to wait till next week unless we have another big story. But anyway, I thought it was a really interesting documentary. And if you don't want to watch it, which I can completely understand because some of the stuff that's in it, then, you know, hit me up. We could talk about it over Twitter, over Facebook, over the website, wherever. If you know me in person, we could talk about it in person. Um, but, you know, if you don't want to waste your time or if you don't want to spend the money on HBO Max just for one documentary. But uh, anyway, I hope everyone has a great, safe, and happy week. And we'll see you again next week right here on the Holmes Politicast. Bye, everyone.